0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Soul Fire production. production. Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: I got a lot of stuff. What I would call a load of uh stuff to go over with you today
1: that's always you always say that
0: I know and we're never going to get to all of them
1: (laughs) that's true too most of the time
0: (laughs) yeah so tell me about your uh week since we spoke last
1: um I think I was already doing my breach training so I've been uh I've been deep in booties coming out of vaginas for a week. Solid. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, you know, cause I've learned so much from you. So just to hear a different perspective has been, uh, has been really interesting. So it's the breach, uh, breach without borders online, um, course, and, uh, there's 16 CEUs available for it. So I highly recommend those of you who are, um, midwives who, or, nurses who are needing CEUs. It's wonderful. Or even doctors. Maybe we have some doctors on here who are needing CEUs. We do.
0: We do. Yeah. We have doctors of chiropractic doctors of acupuncture.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But um,
0: not a lot of of OBs are listening in, but that's okay. Yeah.
1: So it is, it is rich with research and history. So if that's something that's super interesting to you, um, I think you'll geek out on it. Um, They did, they did a really thorough job with that obviously. Um, so yeah, it's been great. And then, um, just hanging out with family and friends I went to the, to the, um, Echo Lake up here near, um, Lake Tahoe, which is absolutely stunningly beautiful and had a lovely day on the lake and, um, getting ready to go back to Santa Barbara and be back on call. And, um, I don't know, uh, in your, mm, Of information that you have today, I want to go over some of the things that are happening locally in Santa Barbara that we've been kind of talking about that
0: is very important to me.
1: Um, but yeah, no births.
0: Yeah, okay. I got that on the current events. Um uh I had one birth I'll talk about in a second. I first have to just say some sad news. Um my cat of 14 years, Homer, i had to put him down this week.
1: Oh, Stu, I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, it's been a fun. It's been a weird year. It's two two out of four of my pets have been put down. Yeah, he had, he had uh, some sort of really bad malignant tumor. Oh, and, uh, Homer. Yeah. So meow, meow from Homer. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Kopi has been missing him, as she's been sitting there meowing a lot lately. So I bet.
1: But yeah. Oh, anyway, that
0: happens. It's a cycle of life, and uh, it was not a hard decision for me again to make that decision to uh to do that. I mean, he was yeah. he could he couldn't pee, he couldn't poop. So like that's a pretty important function.
1: Yeah. So oh. um
0: yeah. Uh moving mm-hmm. on from that uh to something celebratory, uh I had a water birth the day after we did our last podcast where we talked about the be back after three bicornuate uterus breach home water birth. Yeah. I had another I had another home water birth. It's just a Plain old boring multip uh Aww. water birth. There's no such thing as a plain old boring birth, is there? <laughs>
1: not really. Not for yeah, me. That's not for really.
0: Sure. No. But she did she did beautifully. And again, uh I'm I'm back doing births just this week because I was covering for Dr. Flores. This is my last day. Uh tomorrow is a very important day for some people. It is uh my birthday, but <laughs> <laughs> not for me. It just means I'm another year older. Uh,
1: Yay. What are you doing to celebrate?
0: Uh, Nothing. No? Uh, yeah, that's the best thing I can possibly be doing. I'll be no <laughs> longer on call and I will be back to my usual self. No. um, well, well, you know, we'll go hiking. We'll go out. We'll do some stuff. And then the weekend I'm hoping to see my kids, but we'll see how that goes. Um, So just, you know, it's sort of just me and my friend and we're going to just hang out and uh, make go up the coast a little bit. We were hoping you'd be in Santa Barbara. We might make it up that far, but we'll see. Nope. I know you're not. I know. I knew you weren't going to be there. Okay. So uh, speaking of Santa Barbara, do you want to uh, give us an update on what's going on up there?
1: Sure. Um, So about a week ago, there was a, um, I don't know if we talked about it last time. Did we? Um, Anyways. Yeah, uh,
0: no, I did. I think I read, I think I read a couple of my quotes
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah. we talked about that on the last podcast. Um, uh, cottage Hospital that has had a ban for 20 years said that they were planning to lift it in the fall. Those of you who didn't catch the IG live that I did with Anastasia Stone, who is um, an ICANN leader and my student in Santa Barbara um, and a good friend of the podcast um we did a live so you can go on and talk about our skepticism but then um the ican leaders um of santa barbara anastasia stone kim summers and then the international leader of ican wrote an article that's really great um that uh i thought maybe i could read a little bit from
0: yeah i think um, you should because i think they did a really good job yeah um, they they didn't they didn't pull punches like like you would think that most times they would. So this was good.
1: No, well, you take the high road. Um, so th- this is their response to uh, Cottage Hospital, um, an open letter to the Santa Barbara community. The International Cesarean Awareness Network, ICANN, has been made aware of Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital's recent announcement regarding future plans to remove a long- long-standing VBAC ban. ICANN believes that VBAC bans are a form of obstetrical violence, as pregnant people are considered decisionally capable and, and acting on another's body without consent can be considered assault or battery. A key component of the medical ethics of informed consent is that it be voluntarily given. If a policy is coercive, how valid is the consent? Supposedly, the policy change ending Cottage's 20-year legacy of denying patients the right to birth vaginally after prior cesarean locally will be rolled out, quote unquote, in the fall. However, the update seems to hinge on Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital's ability to recruit multiple hospitalists, more anesthesiologists, and additional on-call OBGYNs. While having all of that sounds great, we wish them success in growing their team. I love that part. (laughs) Um, Patients' rights don't get to wait. VBAC is not a concierge service or option to provide as a bonus. Rather, it is a birth mode VBAC plus birth history after cesarean. Affect a large subset of the population around one in three who give birth. Many families cannot travel for health care. VBAC bans leave many with no access to prenatal care. Disproportionately, that's a hard word to say fast. Um, Affects socioeconomically disadvantaged population. Creates inequitable access to health care. Disappropriate, say it for me.
0: Uh, What word was it? Disappropriate?
1: Disappropriate. Inappropriately.
0: Disproportionately.
1: Yes. Thank you. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate or disproportionately. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Affects black and brown birthing people who are more likely to feel forced into a primary cesarean and have worse outcomes than white patients, including three to four times more likely to die. Increases cases of placenta accreta in future pregnancies, which I'm hoping we'll talk about next week. Um, a serious obstetrical emergency directly linked with cesareans. Um, it goes on. I don't know that I need to read the whole article, but I thought they did a really great job talking about why this is not okay to have a ban. And it and it makes it really clear to them um, in this letter to the community and to Cottage that um it goes on to talk about um what ACOG considers um to be okay and uh I think it's a great article it's in the ed hat we'll um put it in our show notes yeah we'll
0: we'll definitely link it
1: yeah edhat.com and you can look for that uh article yeah so what do you think well, first it.
0: of all, I, I was inspired by it, so I wore my ICANN uh, T-shirt today.
1: <laughs> love it, love right. it.
0: And secondly, uh, just the line that you said that uh, that VBAC is not a concierge service yeah. is just sums it up to me. Um, they've made it seem when you, through their coercive and their skewed counseling that VBAC is this dangerous, terrible thing um, that shouldn't be an option, yet we all know it's a reasonable option. and. Uh, even if it's an unreasonable option, shouldn't the hospital have to support what somebody wants? They have the right to say no, but they've right. made it they've made it so coercive there, and they've pounded it in. It's almost like they are uh, uh, brainwashing the community to believe that that this is something that's been, been dangerous and shouldn't be allowed for so long that it's sort of become part of the uh, the environment in Santa Barbara. So it, it, this was, this was a very compared to the other two articles that came out. This was a, this, this article was very cutting and I thought it was, um, good to have it out there and it made them very uncomfortable. I'm, I'm assuming that there was no comment from, um, from cottage hospital.
1: I haven't heard of a comment yet.
0: Yes. And, and last tuned. week, we talked. And last week we talked about the idea that Sansom had not responded to the previous article. And um, they were drafting their own response. But to this point, we haven't seen that either. So nope. um, they're in a pickle and they know it and they know they've been wrong all this time and they're busted. And we'll see uh, how they try to weasel their way out of it.
1: <laughs> yes. Stay tuned to the Santa Barbara soap opera.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Santa Barbara, also, um, yeah. we did a postpartum visit. Uh, I did a postpartum visit on the we we as the proverbial we it's me. Uh, I did a postpartum visit on the lady with the V-back after three bicornate uterus, blah, 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 Reach home birth, <laughs> water birth. And um, at the postpartum visit, guess who was there?
1: Who was there, Stu?
0: Dr. Drake.
1: And she just happened to show up?
0: Anastasia brought her. But I'm just oh, saying God. that uh, Dr. Drake was there to seek kind of what it's like to be doing a home postpartum visit. Oh. So that, that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll just keep our fingers crossed on that.
1: That's right. Stay
0: tuned. Okay. So I have a correction from a podcast that we did a few while ago about Meek, Should I pronounce Meek. Meek, yep. Meek, Meek. It's actually Meek, M-E-A-C. And this is from Leslie, and it's an important correction. She says, hello, fellow travelers. Thanks for your podcast. I really enjoy them. I wanted to let you know that it's definitely not true that one has to be a Meek educated to be a CPM. Mm-hmm. I heard from uh, Marin the, uh, from IndieBurst say that on her podcast as well, it is not true. NARM has always, and as long as the current leadership is there, will always support the PEP pathway to the CPM credentials. I had to look up what PEP meant, but it means portfolio evaluation process or essentially the apprenticeship model, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. This makes it available to all the midwifery students who are not able to afford and or and/or participate in a Meek accredited program. Unfortunately, what is happening is that in the states, just now looking at licensing of community midwives, some of them under the guidance of our friends at ACOG and probably some others have required that licensed CPMs in their states be meek program educated and have somehow made this happen. Yeah. The PEP program is basic to NARM and unless something very strange happens, it will always be one of the paths to the credential. All this is clearly stated on the NARM website we need to fight this at the local levels for many reasons, and she says thanks, Leslie. So thank you, Leslie, for correcting you, Leslie. us.
1: Yeah.
0: we don't. We like to be correct on the birthing instincts podcast
1: as much as we can. Yes,
0: always. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly enough, you talked about breach without borders. Um, yeah. And the CEUs, they sent out a notice, and I don't know if you saw this, but a fake book. Um, has they're having issues with Breach Without Borders, and they and Breach, they sent out this. Due to the importance of this segment from last week's newsletter, we wanted to repeat it again this week. We have still not been able to make contact directly with Facebook, and today the threat of losing the Reach Without Borders page continues. Right? Please read the following statement and feel free to share far and wide. Which is why I'm reading the statement and sharing it far and wide. Thank you. Included in the mission statement of Breach Without Borders is his dedication to breach education. Often this is in the form of breach birth videos. It is overwhelmingly frustrating when we have to constantly fight with social media platforms regarding whether or not our content is appropriate. It happened again this week. A message to Facebook from our pres- Facebook, from our president, after being banned, seven days personally, that would be president, would probably be Rick's eye, I'm assuming. Uh, they, she was personally banned and Facebook was banned from one month from any Facebook group for posting an educational birth video on the Breach Without Borders page. You believe that? Yep, I can. Dr. Rixafri says, our nonprofit is one of three organizations worldwide that trains physicians and midwives in vaginal breach skills. And the only one I know of that travels globally to offer such trainings. We rely heavily on Facebook to spread knowledge about our organization and the effects would be devastating if we lost access due to ongoing account restrictions. A breech baby survival depends upon the midwife or physician having the skills we provide. And then she says, we have been trying to contact Fakebook about this issue to no avail. Um, and they say that it's violating their community standards to show and a the- human birth. Yeah. Yeah. A breech mm-hmm. booth, I guess.
1: Yeah. So- I mean, anybody who posts any videos having to do or pictures having to do with birth has dealt with this. So, yeah. It's common,
0: Yeah, and, and, but not yeah. right. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, that's annoying.
1: Super.
0: Right. Briefly, um, just going off on the academic program, um, I got an email this morning from the American Journal of OBGY, and that's called the Gray Journal. Um, we talk about it sometimes. There's a study in there. You know, it's interesting. The studies there are kind of like the Daily Mail. Uh, they have the longest titles ever. Um, this is, the study is called on the management of maternal pushing during the second stage, a biomechanical study considering passive tissue fatigue, damage accumulation. <laughs> <laughs> you have any idea what that means?
1: Mm, passive tissue fatigue. And what was the last part?
0: Damage accumulation.
1: Having to do with the perineum,
0: right? Well, yeah. I'm only going to, I'm not going to bore anybody with anything, but I'm going to do what I tell people not to do. And that I just read the abstract. Yeah, And I looked at the conclusion,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: what the conclusion is, is it actually makes sense. And it's quite a silent, kind of something that midwives have already done, but in the hospital, sometimes they're still doing this coach pushing where they're counting to 10, you know, hold yeah. your breath counted in. So the conclusion of this little study was the frequency and duration of the maternal pushes influence the damage accumulation in the passive tissues of the pelvic floor muscles, indicating that it can influence the prevalence of pelvic floor muscle injuries long-term. Our results suggested that maternal pushes should not last longer than five seconds, and that the duration of active pushing is better is a better measurement than the total duration of the second stage of labor. So, in other words, t- counting the time that you're pushing makes more sense. But that pushing for ten seconds, like the directed pushing technique, yeah. did not reduce the duration of the second stage and caused higher damage accumulation.
1: Yes, we we yes, I agree. We we know this. Who's who's writing this?
0: <laughs> well, it's just, it's oh, you know what? It's from another country. I couldn't. Uh, I tried to look on the thing to see where which university or where it came from, but I could tell by the authors' names it was from another country.
1: Well, that's good that it's becoming more common conversation.
0: Yeah, it's so one of those things. It's one of those things where you know, you and I probably don't say we need to study. To tell us what nature would tell you to do, and if you let women push naturally, they don't ever push for ten seconds at a push, no. right? They make these deep grunts that last maybe five seconds, maybe less, mm-hmm. um, and that's how nature does it. But when you when academia kind of proves something that common sense would dictate, then it's probably true. So I'm very happy to see that, right?
1: You know what? I had I had this thought a few times when I was listening to, um, I think it was. Uh, David Hayes, um, on right. Dr. David Hayes. Yes. Um, in, in this lecture, you know, so much, whatever studies and, and, uh, clinical opinion about, you know, it's so great that we know that with breech births, we should like, let the woman, um, you know, just let the baby deliver on its own without interfering with the process. And I was thinking, how is that any different than any birth like we accept it for breach and everybody like talks about it so much with breach, but you know, like that actually should be kind of what we do for b- birth in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes right? lose sight of the forest for the trees and, and academia is very noted for that. They focus on one thing, or as I always say, they, they, um, their end point is always neonatal death or neonatal mor- morbidity. And, and so they, they lose sight of, what everyone else really knows, you know, with the with the with the you know what the average uh, waiter knows at the at your local restaurant is probably greater than. <laughs> Does he know that? <laughs> no, I don't. Know. I'm not talking about David. I'm talking about your academicians and right. And because David David is like not really an academician, but the beach without oh, no. borders course is you know has some very academic parts in it because Rixa is an academician. Yeah. Yeah right yeah. okay um this was a quick note from um a midwife friend of mine Tesa i think she's up in in Bakersfield yeah and not not Tesa up in Reading, but this is Tesa or Tisa or whatever up in Bakersfield and um it's just it's just one of those annoying things like remember we talked once about how dentists want you to write a letter to yes. tell them that it's okay to do dentistry on pregnant women, which is yes. what they went to school for, that sort of thing. Yes. So she sent somebody in for a 20-week scan, and here's what she says. She said, the maternal fetal medicine she saw for the 20-week scan is freaking out because she has a shorter cervix, and I don't have her on progesterone. The mom is wanting to go on progesterone, but I'm in a bind to get her this prescription because she's on Medi-Cal, and I would have to jump through a dozen hoops to get her to see an OB. And then it would be five weeks before she can get it. Would you be, she asked me, would I be able to prescribe it for her? Is this scenario where she consults with you? And uh, of course the maternal fetal medicine doctor has her on bed rest, which is not evidence-based. Okay. Well, neither is progesterone. And we went over this. You and I did this uh, thing about the uses of uh, progesterone and and prevention of things, and it doesn't really work. But the question (laughs) that I... When I read this and I listened to this, and I I immediately wrote back to uh, to Tesa, and I said, "Question: Why doesn't the maternal-fetal medicine doctor who thinks she should be on progesterone write her a prescription for progesterone? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) if he thinks it's so important. (laughs) I mean, is common. I'm a doctor. I'm licensed in California. I think you should be on this medication. Have your primary care person write the medication for you." Why don't Ryan. you write? Why don't you write it? Yeah, he has a license. In actually, the in actuality, there's little evidence to support progesterone in these situations, similar to bed rest. Um, and then she says, "Well, Stu, that is my question too. As I have never had an MFM not write the script, so I'm not sure why she sent it to this M&M. But I wouldn't M&M. Yeah, is that? Uh, yeah, never mind. Which flavor? Okay. Um Mm mfm but i would never send anybody back to this mfm again It's kind of like dentists who won't take responsibility for them why would you go to that back to that dentist
1: well the problem is to someone who's on medi-cal there's so few options in general um and to get good quality care for people on medi-cal is it's almost impossible honestly
0: yeah you know what i didn't i didn't think of that that's probably true it's probably one of the only people that takes medi-cal but and that it is, that is a huge problem. But yeah. all the more reason that since she can't write prescriptions because of some stupid California law, um, and it would take five weeks to get her in to see somebody, and by that point, if the progesterone is actually something that he thinks she should be on, which I don't, but anyway, why not just write it for her and make it easy because totally. it's done? Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So, so that one's going to get the paper into the waste basket. okay into the
1: round file
0: okay i got i think today's theme uh, obviously we talked a little bit about v-back in santa barbara and and we talk about v-back all the time but there's there's just so much misinformation there's so much wrong information out there about that so i have a bunch of letters and some of them from from Brittany, aubrey bridget emily sky dancer Haley nadine and anna and I don't know we're going to get through all of them, yeah. but some of them are related directly to VBAC. So I'm going to do a couple of those first and then okay. see what how the time goes and uh, we'll see where it takes us. OK,
1: Okie dokie.
0: But all before right, we do that, guess what time it is?
1: Time for Bamboobies.
0: Bamboobies. That's correct. <laughs> so uh, tell us why you like Bamboobies and I'll tell you how to reach them.
1: Because <laughs> I have boobies. No, I'm just kidding um yes, I love, you, do,
0: you actually do have boobies
1: I do have boobies and I use them to breastfeed three beautiful children um and uh when we owned the sanctuary we had a beautiful eco boutique and our focus was to have uh products that were not only great for families but great for the environment and bamboobies was one of the um selected companies that we chose. And so we did a lot of research and, and really believed in their products. And the, and the one that we carried that, that I talk about all the time is the heart-shaped uh, reusable breast pads. Um, the shape is awesome because it doesn't show underneath your clothes like some of the traditional ones. And it is using uh, a renewable resource like bamboo. Since, they've, since then, they've expanded their line and have a bunch of amazing products, teas, Nipple bombs, salves, um, all kinds of clothing in terms of uh, tanks and teas that you can breastfeed in. So we love them. We love that they support the comfort of mom and baby. And you should go and check them out and get some beautiful products for the next time you have a, a baby shower or something. Even if you're not the one who needs them, there are always opportunities to give beautiful gifts. So, Stu, why don't you give them our code?
0: That was beautifully said. Bamboobies, you should be proud of us. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So just go to uh, bamboobies.com, bamboobies.com, and use the code word instincts, and you get 25% off your purchase. So that's bamboobies.com. Code word instincts, 25% off your purchase. Thanks, Bamboobies.
1: Thank you, Bamboobies.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That was really good. You did a good job with that one. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay. So this is from Brittany. Very short. Uh, Thank you, is-
1: Brittany, for being a fellow traveler. traveler.
0: Right. Uh, Brittany says, I messaged, you, I messaged you a little over a year ago after I randomly started listening to your podcast. <laughs> you were the first person that made me aware of the fact that home birth could be a safe option for me, even with a prior C-section. Awesome. I said I would let you know if I ever got my H back. Oh, I'm going to get choked up. <laughs> and today I'm happy to say I had mine last night.
1: Wow. 21, 21
0: night. months after my first C-section. Thank you so much for all the info you share and for the work that you do for women and babies. You have helped change the way I see the birth world and I pray that others eyes continue to be opened as well. So Yay. there's a there's a positive story.
1: Lovely. Yay.
0: Okay, let's see what let's see what uh, Bridget had to say here. Where's Bridget? Where did Bridget go oh there she is okay so here's Bridget um she writes I would like to know your thoughts on the risk of a breach VBAC well let's see what are my thoughts bliss
1: go for it well oh, you, you have go. some criteria for breaches in general but yeah
0: no you can only have a breach VBAC if you've had three c-sections then you can have one <laughs> <Shush>. <laughs>
1: okay <laughs>
0: Would it truly be considered a valid reason for an emergency C-section? Trying to process what I just went through a few days ago. So we wow. just heard, we just heard uh, Brittany's story. And now we're hearing Bridget's story. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It seems like this is out of order. But I'm still processing everything, but I'm upset how it turned out. This was supposed to be my redemptive back I fought for and saw midwives at a birth center for Everything went according to plan until the very end, when my contractions were on top of one another, and I had passed a ton of meconium. My midwife then found out baby was breech and wasn't comfortable delivering her by by herself without the other midwife because I was a V back. I assume because of the risk of hemorrhage. puts Question mark. I don't have any idea why.
1: No. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so that's that's a that's like a false fear. Yeah. That that VBAC is any different than any other labor. It's not.
1: Or breach having, breach or VBAC having any uh, increased risk of hemorrhage. That's not a factor.
0: Yeah. Right. So a last minute two block transfer to the hospital was decided, got there and they could, they, they could find fetal heart tones. Oh, I think she meant they could not find fetal heart tones, even with my midwife trying to tell them where she found them. At this point, my body was pushing on its own, trying to get her out. They wheeled me to the OR, where they still couldn't find heart tones, and telling me to stop pushing. At the last minute, they found her heart tones and put me under general anesthesia because they were not successful with the spinal. I honestly believe if everyone stopped and breathed for a minute, my body would have got her out. I just questioned whether I would have hemorrhaged or had been fine. Right. So... I responded to her and I said, again, I think this is a little out of order. I'm a big supporter of, of trial of labor after cesarean. But you know what? I was talking to some friends of mine, and sh- is that a term that we should really con- continue to use too? Or is that a term Tri- that we should
1: trial, trial of, of labor? labor.
0: Mm-hmm. Just labor. <laughs>
1: I'm a big yeah. supporter.
0: I'm a big supporter of labor. Can we just say that? Okay. So I'm going to change that to labor. Right. I'm a big supporter of labor. I'm a skilled breech practitioner who recognizes that breech and cephalic births are normal and similar in outcomes. So no, a woman trying for a VBAC who happens to be breech is not ever an emergency just because of the breech position. Unless, of course, the doctor didn't get trained in breech and so doesn't know what he or she is doing and often panics, which is a whole nother issue. Breach labors succeed or not for the same reasons cephalic ones do. On occasion, a breech needs a cesarean, but for similar reasons to a head down baby would. Mm -hmm. Again, not just because it's breech. Most doctors fear breech because either they have been indoctrinated to or they just were never trained. A sad statement on our academic training centers. So there you go. I mean, again, uh, false information, bad information, fear, um, and lack of training. Yeah. And panic sets in uh again the midwife was trying to tell them where the heart tones were they weren't listening to her apparently uh which is a classic thing that happens when we used to transport they'd have to redo everything you know i was just talking to um i was or uh, i can't remember who i was talking to but about about gbs cultures and uh-huh. You know, I fill out, we, we take the reports and we, on the, on the prenatal record, you fill out the labs, you fill out the A, you know, blood type, A positive, antibody screen negative, blah, blah, blah. And you fill it all in with handwriting. And then GBS, you write negative. If you, I know that in the past, if I've gone to the hospital or I've transferred someone to the hospital and I wrote GBS negative, but I didn't send the printed lab report with the negative culture, they would either call me or they would just assume that, that, she was gbs unknown because mm-hmm. i'd only written it in as if i would write something in that wasn't true right why, why do they do that
1: i think it's because there's there's um human error when when things are done that way and so um seeing the actual lab result you know again cya right it covers their ass to make sure that they are actually getting legitimate information rather than a human error but
0: yeah i mean they often have to redo things I mean, I understand if you're taking responsibility for somebody and you, someone tells you, you have a woman that's coming in breach, you might want to do a quick scan to prove that it's breach, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, that if I did a set of toxemia labs Mm -hmm. and came back with elevated liver tests and sent them to the hospital an hour later, they would repeat the labs.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Why? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I mean, we we, we have our ideas why, but okay. So um Bridget, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. And, so and, so and so is Bliss.
1: Very sorry.
0: All right, let's see. I got one more on V back, I think, and that's from Anna. Let me see if I can find Anna. Okay, this is a longer one. So let's let's see what Anna has to say. This is Anna from Madison. Madison where? I'm assuming that's Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, you're right. It could be Madison.
1: I just did not remember.
0: Megan Madison Yugoslavia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello. There's another one. It says, I inquired about a V back with you years ago. I'd be black in 2015. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that.
1: <laughs> well, that's amazing that they're, you know, writing you seven years later. It's amazing.
0: That's pretty good math, by the way, on your part.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway.
0: anyway I am pregnant with a third now, and I'm currently being seen by what I thought was a VBAC supportive nurse practitioner midwife, and now realizing she's a VBAC barely tolerant person. It's very, I like that terminology.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> VBAC barely tolerant. Um, this happens a lot, by the way. The bait and switch or the, the idea that somebody purports to be VBAC supportive, and they're really not VBAC supportive. Yeah. You've seen that. You've seen that a lot, right?
1: Oh, I've seen it with all kinds of things, not just feedbacks.
0: but yes. Okay. So let me see if you th- catch the, the wrong term here. In 2011, I had an emergency C-section with my first. I did not dilate past seven centimeters after 24 hours, so they said it was time. What was the, what's the mistake?
1: <laughs> the 24 hours.
0: Well, that and also um, that she had an emergency C-section.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> No, you had a C-section that they lied to you and said was an emergency. Right. I wish I had more time. Also, my big mistake was never preparing for birth by taking classes. I would have to say my comment on that is that not all classes can prepare you for these sorts of things because lots of classes are are skewed toward getting you to learn what the hospital or what whoever's teaching the classes wants you to learn.
1: Yeah. Definitely. If you're wanting a natural birth, don't take the hospital class because that's just going to teach you how to be a good patient, not advocate for yourself. uh,
0: Yeah, I wish I had prepared more. Fast forward to 2018. I was seen by the midwife group in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. The whole experience through my pregnancy was so wonderful because I felt so empowered and trusted the midwives. When labor came, I had to labor at the local hospital. A midwife was there to support me as well as my doula and training friend. My very supportive husband and my eleven-year-old. Almost immediately after getting settled, the doctor appeared and told me that my chances of this succeeding was very low and how risky it was.
1: While she was in labor,
0: <laughs> and then she said, "Be back after mm-hmm. one C-section."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So why, again? I mean, I know this is a rhetorical, stupid question. But what, what kind of person says that to a per- what what are they thinking? Go out to the nurse's station and say she's never going to make it or scream into a pillow or or something. But why are you telling this person who really wants this? That what what is your point of doing that?
1: To coerce them into doing something that makes them feel more comfortable. If they don't have the same agenda and perspective that we do, stew in a hospital environment, they're not thinking about whether or not the woman feels safe and unwatched, that her hormones continue to move forward. That is not what they're thinking about. And so the agenda is to make them feel comfortable and to adhere to the hospital policies and the culture of the doctors yeah. that will support th- their decisions. It's not about that
0: yeah that's right I mean it, it, it what I sense from that is it's make it, it's the doctor trying to make himself feel comfortable
1: yeah and I've told this story before that I had this be successful be back at um a hospital in Santa Monica and the it was a newer female doctor and she was great she came in the room and she was looking at the monitor and we were laboring and like getting the mom into the vibe with the lights dim and the The nurse that we had was a, um, a midwife from England. And, you know, so her team was very committed. And this doctor said that she was going to give her a chance to to have a trial of labor quote unquote. And she was looking at the monitor and she said, you know what, I'm just going to stand here and be nervous. I'm going to go somewhere else because it's not helpful. And she knew now that's someone who really supports. She let her deliver on a birth stool, which. I never had another doctor later do that. And, um, you know, so those are the kind of things that we need to have success in the hospital. And if you're the kind of doctor who knows that you're nervous about this, just like you talk about with breach providers, you know, people who say that they do twins and stuff like that. If you are not comfortable, say, I'm probably not the best provider for you because it makes me uncomfortable so that they can go and find somebody who really believes in them. Don't bullshit them. They deserve to have you tell the truth about how you feel.
0: This brings up two points for me. One is that if you're not comfortable with VBAC, why are you taking a VBAC client? Right. And, sec- and secondly, in the cottage hospital example, if they hire hosp- laborists, is one of the questions gonna be, are you comfortable with VBAC? Because it probably isn't. So they're gonna hire laborists who probably are uncomfortable with VBAC to take care of people Specifically, who are V back and probably as we talked about last week, there's probably only going to be like you know, what three, four a month that they actually that they actually have VBACs on. So, is it going to be a priority of these laborists to be V back supportive, or are they just going to hire them because they're bodies and they can say that that they meet the uh, ACOG or whatever whatever fake guidelines they came up with?
1: Yeah, I don't know how it'll be with the laborists. That but when we looked at what was happening with. Um, uh, Kaiser, sometimes when you had these doctors that were doing shift work, they, um, were different in terms of how they felt comfortable or not comfortable than the providers that, um, the practitioners that the doctors that were, um, you know, normally delivering in that hospital. So maybe, maybe not, it'd be great if they had midwives that could come in and support uh VBACs. but you know one of the things that Anastasia and I said in our live that I want people to remember is just because you get a hospital to lift their vbac ban doesn't mean that they are going to necessarily have doctors there that are supportive or uh, the staff that's supportive and you and I have talked about this before your success in having a you know your ability to have a successful vbac is very determinant on where you are and if your providers are not fearful
0: it's another yeah. example, another example of stage one thinking by administrators when they when they say, Well, we'll have a laborist, and that way we'll be able to lower our C-section rate. Because what happened, what they when they looked at that, what they found was that it wasn't the laborists that lowered the C-section rate, it was the beliefs of the laborists. So some laborists had high C-section rates, some laborists had low C-section rates, depending on what kind of practitioner they were in the first place. So mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with having somebody there it has all everything to do with the philosophy and the ability and the skill and the confidence of the person that they're hiring not just that there's a body there
1: absolutely um, but
0: that's not yeah. what they think they think they got to have a body there and that'll that'll lower the C section rate because there won't be the time pressure to section somebody before you go home because everybody's working a shift and who cares right 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 so um anna goes on she says um I was discouraged immediately and just started feeling pretty down, but kept trying. I was induced rather quickly. And I think she means probably augmented. um, And they allowed me to be in the water for a bit, but the water was so hot, I immediately became agitated and stressed. Well, that's something I haven't read before. (laughs) Just add cold water. (laughs) Okay, never mind. All right. I also felt <laughs> lost and confused because the midwife hardly checked on me and I no longer felt empowered. So that's interesting because the midwife wasn't checking on her. We sometimes think that's a good thing, but but she, she needed it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This VBAC attempt ended in a C-section. It was really difficult to accept long after. I felt like I had prepared this time around, but now I failed again. I also realized I put too much faith in them supporting me didn't do enough research or enough preparation by taking classes again i want to reiterate that it's not taking classes it's taking the right classes or 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 looking for the right references or talking to the right people or or or, or listening to the birthing instincts podcast which (laughs) which which might help a little bit so she says now i'm pregnant again 11 weeks and i left with so much fear because the midwife that I thought was supportive reiterated the usual uterine rupture risk at today at my appointment. And she shared how my body might just not be meant to birth and how her baby was born with a paralyzed arm for six weeks because he was too big for her. EMI. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a technical glitch there. That was silence on bliss in my part (laughs) to, (laughs) to believe that, that, that you would tell a woman a story about a shoulder dystocia? What, what does that have to do with your view? Nothing. I don't know. No. What's yeah. going, I don't know what's going on for her here. Yeah. I feel like anyone I speak to about wanting to try again thinks I'm doing it just for some sort of achievement. When the reality is a cesarean just, just does not feel right. Again, we reiterate over and over again that how a woman gives birth is so important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to some, to some women and to some yeah. women, it doesn't matter, but to, to assume that all women, it doesn't matter is a mistake. I'm absolutely grateful for the existence, for it's, for C-sections ability, existence and ability to save lives, but to not have a choice to even attempt a VBAC again before jumping into a cesarean just seems so unnatural to me. The birth center I saw in 2018 says they no longer can work with me due to, because now I have two C-sections and many places are turning me away because of this.
1: That is very unfortunate and uh, true <laughs> that a lot of people feel more afraid of multiple C-sections. The thing that I would, that I would say, and not everybody's going to agree with me, but I love, you know, I'm listening to Marin a lot on her podcast. And one of the a common theme is you don't need permission to deliver your baby. You don't need the midwives to give you permission. You don't need the hospital to give you permission. You don't need that, their permission. You can do this and you can walk into the hospital with a baby crowning and have them catch your baby if that's if you feel like you want to have somebody around for that. Um, it's not okay that we have a system that you have to travel, you know, for all the reasons that I read in that in that letter you know disadvantaged populations have a lot less opportunity to get the kind of care that they deserve but i want to remind you that you don't need anybody's permission to do what you want to do if you want to have a labor and give it a shot support yourself find some some free birth um education where they can empower you to be able to trust yourself educate yourself and then Do what you want to do. I wish that you had more options for providers. It's a terrible thing. But I think that it's good for us to continue to remember that. Just because someone says that they don't feel comfortable with it doesn't mean that that takes away your right to be able to do it. He's clapping silently.
0: Uh, No, I think I picked, I think my mic will pick that up. My (laughs) my big, my big mic will pick that up. (laughs) Well, just like you said, um, they wanted me, they just wanted me to accept a repeat without fighting it. My reason in reaching out right now is that I've never felt as supported as when I chatted with you years ago. We have have family in California and have talked about the idea of coming to visit during my last trimester until I give birth with you and possibly give birth with you if you are able to accommodate me. And I won't go into the rest of it, but I just want people to know, they don't need to travel to Southern California for this, but like Bliss was talking about earlier, if you can't get what you want in your community, you have the right to go there anyway, but the, but you never really want to, it's not a great thing to go to a hostile no, environment, it's not. Fact, but you know, if you have to drive a hundred miles, if you have to drive to cross state lines, um, to find the practitioner, to find the right situation for yourself, do this. I mean, you're going to give birth somewhere between one and 15 times in your life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Depending on, you know, who you are, but yeah. you know, most people are like two times, maybe three, Um, these are remarkable uh, moments in your life. And, you know, like we talked about all the time in the old days where you talked about planning your wedding, you know, take some time, spend some money, plan, plan it, work it out, make it, make it. So you have the experience that you want. You may not always get the outcome that you want, but at least you'll have the, the road getting there will be your road. Exactly. So I wrote Anna back. So we'll talk about that some other time. Okay. Let's take a break real quick and talk about element.
1: L M N
0: T. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because um I have a house guest now and we're 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 doing a lot of hiking and stuff, and we're taking water with us and we're mixing our element in it. We had watermelon yeah. and and I had raspberry yesterday. And it's actually, you know, it's actually pretty good. I used to say it was good, but I never tried it before because they're our sponsor. But now I can actually say that. Yeah, I feel like I'm thrilled because it's 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 so much better than diet coke, and yeah. it's, it's got more <laughs> stuff in it than water. Mm-hmm. So um, you get you know it's really the best of both worlds, and it comes in all these great flavors, as you know. It's this yeah. it's this electrolyte drink that that you know it's great for people that um, are on a keto diet, or but I just think it's great for pregnant women in labor, but it's great for anybody who's out hiking or anything like that. Uh, It's got all the good stuff in it and none of the BS like us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And it replaces something like Gatorade that, you know, um, has a lot of the BS in it and a lot of sugar. And a lot of us don't need all that sugar. So you can get what you need without having all of the fluff in there.
0: Yeah. And it comes in these little eco-friendly packets. You don't have Mm -hmm. to waste a plastic bottle or anything like that. Like when you buy some of these other drinks. It comes in, you know, grapefruit, watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, mango, chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt, as well as raw unflavored. But I'll tell you, the flavors are pretty good. So why would you ever want to drink the raw unflavored? <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to, uh, dot that's drink dot com, and use the code word birthing instincts, uh, for anything, anytime you order, you'll get a free sample pack sent to you along with it. So, uh, Support our sponsors. They help make our podcast possible. Thanks, Element. Drinkelement.com, Cold Word, Birthing Instincts.
1: Thank you, Element.
0: Okay. So I'm going to change tune a little bit and just read some letters about other topics and get and pick your brain.
1: Pick my brain.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're picking, picking your brain. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a little tired.
0: Uh, yeah i am actually uh okay so uh this letter is from holly and it's just a short one it just says so thankful to have found your podcast during my first pregnancy so she's thankful for you bliss Aww. i i planned a home birth and baby was head down all pregnancy he flipped during labor and was presenting complete breach when i started to push my midwife and her team had never done a breach birth but after weighing the options i got out of the first out of the birth tub got on all fours then lunging position and brought my baby into the world testicles first. (laughs) (laughs) I never in a million years thought I would experience this, but I immediately thought of all your breach info when we decided to stay at home and give it a shot. Anyways, just thought I had to share. I had my baby boy on July 15th in Southern Illinois. Oh, with Harmony Health and Home Birth Services. a A shout out to those people for supporting her, not panicking, not calling the paramedics. And doing and letting the mom do what nature taught them to do. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, here's one on, from Audrey on the on something to do with IUGR, and let's see how that goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, "Dear Doctor Stu and Bliss, I have been re-listening to some recent podcast episodes and having thoughts on indications for induction, COVID vaccines, and my recent birth experience." I recently gave birth to my baby girl in the hospital. Prior to 35 weeks to station, I was working exclusively with my home birth midwife, CPM, and had a completely normal, healthy, low risk pregnancy. At our 34 week appointment, my midwife noted that my fundal height had plateaued and was measuring low, 30 centimeters at 34 weeks. Uh huh. We discussed what this could mean and decided that an ultrasound would be a good idea to find out what was going on. You would agree with that, right?
1: Yeah. Anything more than two centimeters, you should check in.
0: Okay. So at yeah. 35 weeks, I had my first ultrasound of my pregnancy. Good for you. Mm-hmm. The scan showed asymmetric IUGR. Yeah, right. And low amniotic fluid. Deepest pocket was normal at 5.2 centimeters. And AFI was below the fifth, point, fifth percentile at 6.7 centimeters.
1: One pocket was 5.2? Yeah. Okay.
0: But the fluid was low. Yeah. Is it low?
1: No. One pocket at two centimeters is considered sufficient.
0: And so what if it's in the fifth percent? Uh, by the way, I don't I didn't even know they did fluid in percentiles. But-
1: <laughs> it's a it's a new. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, they must have come up with a new graph because I you know, this is the 35 weeks or whatever else. And I didn't even know they had graphs for fluid at 35 weeks. Somebody's been busy. Yeah. Doing, yeah. Doing something. But you know, if you use the criteria of all four quadrants being greater than five centimeters, then 6.7 centimeters is not low. It's not lowish. It's normal. One week later, a second ultrasound. Well, obviously they weren't that concerned because they told her to go home. <laughs> come right. Back, come back a week right. later. One yeah. week later, a second ultrasound showed persistent low fluid but the biophysical profile was eight out of eight. I don't know what persistent low fluid means. She doesn't say. The OB recommended immediate induction. So she's now 36 weeks, okay?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The biophysical profile of eight out of eight and slightly low fluid. We, we don't know how low. Uh, and stated that ACOG guidelines recommended delivery between 36 and 37 weeks. For I don't know IUGR? What...
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Is she IUGR though? That right.
1: Of, you seem dubious, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, i'm whenever I hear something with, that a maternal fetal medicine doctor says, I'm dubious. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, I know that i'm I'm seeing a skewed population of letters and stuff like that. But pretty much everybody that writes me is writing me about what their MFM or their OB has said, and it's generally wrong,
1: yeah, but without the sarcasm, sorry. if if a, if a midwife <laughs> was sending um a client in, Right, we don't always get to send them to somebody like Stu, who we totally trust everything they say. How are we? What are we looking for from that information to be able to make a decision on whether or not we can continue to care for this person?
0: Well, in some ways, you're sort of screwed because if the, if the <laughs> if doctor says uh, I, you should induce her or whatever else, and you choose not to, um, if there's an adverse outcome, you're 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 toast, right? right so well
1: i mean i've had i've had a woman that came into my care from kaiser and they had said that she was iugr and they needed to induce her and she had a history of having low fundal height it happened in the last pregnancy and we continued i continued to track her and the baby was growing but definitely smaller you know it was more um sga so small for gestational age rather than IUGR. So I think that is something that a midwife can also make her own assessment and give good counseling to her client as well. Right.
0: Yes. I mean, that's what I did. Yes.
1: She had a beautiful water birth.
0: And the other thing too, is that I know that they said that the baby was IUGR, but if we use the definition of IUGR that I've learned is that the baby falling off its growth curve. Uh Uh-huh. How do you know a baby's IUGR with one ultrasound?
1: Well, because the midwife says she was falling off the growth curve, but how do you know that it's asymmetrical IUGR from an ultrasound?
0: Well, I'm saying that the funnel height has changed, but I'm saying that for the, to call, to draw a line through anything, you need two points.
1: Right. That's, I've heard you just talk about this. Yeah.
0: Before. So mm-hmm. you can't say that a baby is growth restricted. You could say the baby's on the small side of things, yeah. Um with one ultrasound, but to call growth restriction, you need to see a baby needs to be falling off its growth curve. That's my understanding of the definition of growth restriction. Yeah. Is, so again, I think it's a mislabel from this, from the very beginning that they're saying that the baby's growth restricted with one ultrasound. But the, maybe
1: asymmet- the-, the asymmetric part is measuring the head in comparison to the body. Right. So there has to be some actual parameters for that to say the asymmetrical part is what I have heard. it is the thing that can be really concerning is when you
0: do have asymmetrical iugr right you a, well asymmetry because you don't know it's iugr but the other hand other hand do i do i do i have the measurements to see w- what they're talking about no so i right. don't even know how asymmetric what we're talking about is here okay right. so
1: it it's still up to the MFM or the doctor to be able to um, make that assessment. There's not like a number, like
0: yeah, we and that's why you have to have trusted. You have to have trusted resources.
1: which Sucks. And when You're you
0: right. don't have, that a lot of communities don't have trusted yeah. resources. Yeah, it's true. Okay.
1: okay, keep going. I'm sorry. I asked.
0: Yeah, questions. no, no. This is this is good. This is what uh, uh, we're getting feedback on. This is the way it works. Okay. I discussed this with my midwife and returned to the hospital the next day to begin the induction. So of course. Uh-huh. The midwife followed the, followed the MFM, what she's supposed to do.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Induction went as well as it could be hoped for. And after four doses of oral cytotec over 12 hours, five hours of Pitocin and two and a half hours of very intense active labor, my baby was born with, without an epidural and no tearing. Yay. Baby was perfectly healthy in every way, other than being small for gestational age at five pounds, seven ounces. Okay. So remember that number, okay. five pounds, seven ounces. We were discharged at 40 hours. I didn't get the home birth I wanted. And now I am wondering if there's any other way this scenario could have gone and and also why this might've occurred. It seems that my placenta just pooped out prematurely. Okay. No. No. My doula who processed my placenta noted that it was on the small side. As your baby was small? Right. Mm -hmm. She says factors to consider it's my first pregnancy. I'm over 35. No. i have managed hypothyroidism no Mm
1: -hmm.
0: moderna vaccines received in early 2021 maybe (laughs) who knows um but no booster shot and never had covid that i know of my question also pertains to future pregnancies and things i can watch out for in order to have a different outcome my midwife suggested possible low-dose aspirin to help with angiogenesis of the placenta what do you think about that i don't agree okay me neither yeah okay so that's what she says, and so you know, I wrote her back, and, and it was very easy for me to write this back. And I said, "Thanks for listening, sharing your story." In any given pregnancy, it's hard to say why things go the way they do. It is also wrong to conclude that the next pregnancy is likely to do the same. That I know is not true. I've seen it million, you know, big baby, small baby, small baby, big baby, C-section, precipitous labor. I've seen them, I've seen everything happen. But how many weeks were you when they induced you? Because five pounds, seven ounces at 36 weeks is normal. It's between the 10th and 30th percentile. Right. So again, remember she was 36 weeks when they induced, she had a five pound, seven ounce baby. If babies grow slightly less than half a pound a week, Mm -hmm. let's say even a third of a pound a week, and she went another four weeks, that baby would have been 6'12 at term. Yeah. Is is that growth restricted? No. Is that small for gestational age? No, 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 10th to 30th percentile, depending on, you know, I don't know whether she was 36 weeks or 37 weeks. So, uh, but if she's 36 weeks, five, seven is the 30th percentile. Mm -hmm. So again, being, people are being told this stuff by people in positions of authority who are abusing their position of authority. Yes. And a low normal amniotic fluid volume is still normal, especially with a normal biophysical profile. I'm not here to make you question whether your treatment was appropriate, but it just seems like much ado about nothing from my distant perch. Let me know about your dates. And if I am correct in my thinking, you do not have to worry about something being wrong then or in the future. Babies vary so much in growth. As for the vaccine question, hard to know. I would only encourage you to never get another one. (laughs) They are worse than useless, right? And I have a lot of references for for that statement. So the
1: last thing I would say to her is, um, in, in the pregnancies that I have supported, where we had a concern about the baby's growth, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to work with Dr. Stu so that my clients weren't afraid, but you can advocate for yourself to continue to stay pregnant and let your baby continue to grow um, continue to do growth scans and possibly even, um, do, uh, biophysical profiles. And if everything continues to look good, um, then you can advocate to stay pregnant and let your baby grow and let your baby come on its own terms. And I've done that before. And I did have a, a baby who was only about five pounds. So this was a small baby, um, born at home on five, Five something. I don't remember exactly, but I felt confident because we had continued to do testing and the baby looked great. The baby was born with absolutely no complications. Um, so that's something that, you know, you can agree to and feel confident and hopefully find a provider that, you know, you can, they may not be thrilled with your decision. Um, but at least they will support you knowing that you have educated yourself and you are, you are agreeing to additional testing. So that
0: would be my recommendation. Yeah. And in, and in this particular case, I mean, this MFM, I, I think was completely misquoting ACOG in saying that they recommend induction at 36 to 37 weeks. Well, first of all, you can't call IUGR as we talked about earlier. Second of all, the baby turned out not to be IUGR. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, you, as you said, the biophysical profile was fine. Right. I think ACOG talks about inducing for IUGR when the you know when there's a evidence that the baby's in distress or or right. stressed right there, there was no evidence of that in this case and what makes a better incubator a, a mother's you know uterus or 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 you know baby in the bassinet
1: right and when it makes sense with IUGR is when the environment inside is awesome. not supporting the mom and you want to get the baby on the outside but as Dr Stu is pointing to you know, if, if everything looks good, then the best possible thing is to be continue to grow. I never understood that you have a small baby, let's take the baby out. Like, wait a minute, it's going to do so much better. If it's, if it's stronger, has more fat, you know, like it just doesn't make any sense to me. So.
0: Yeah. If, if, if they have decided that this is how we assess fetal environment and this fetal environment is not hostile, then why are then why are we taking the baby out? Again, it's very concrete thinking. It's like risk management for them, really, is what it's Yeah. It's it's also it's also a a a way of thinking that they're they're not they're not putting two and two together. They're just looking at something and there's and they're saying, well, this they this thing is going on, so we have to do this. Mm -hmm. It's just it's yeah, I guess I can't say it any better than just say it's concrete thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more. Because we're going to be running out of time, so this is from um, Haley, and it's about twins. So that's kind of fun to end with. Um, Hi, Doctor Stu and Bliss. I hope you don't mind me messaging you. I'm sure you get too many to answer. That's true, but I but I do still do answer as many as and I and we know, love pretty much that. all of them, and we, we do love, love them. them. Mm-hmm. But I would really appreciate your advice if you have the time, please. So here we have time. I'm in the UK. So, no, our rules to birthing are different to where you are, but I wanted your opinion on my birth plans. I'm a second time mom to monochorionic diamniotic twins at 38 weeks and five days. I originally wanted a home birth, but have come to an agreement with the hospital that I would go there, go into their birthing center next door to the hospital. I already turned down an induction at 37 weeks, and now they want me to think about how long I would let our pregnancy go on for. She puts let in quotes. Yeah. Um, as they said, the placenta may start to fail, but I still th- basically think, basically they've never had anyone go on this long and they don't know what to do with me. Yeah. Tear, tearful, tearful laughing emoji.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've still had my scans and have had weekly scans recently. They seem to be growing well. And I think they're both nearly seven pounds. I think I just need reassurance from somebody who knows that I'm not putting myself or my babies at risk. The midwives aren't experienced with our type of twins. So feel maybe I'm expecting too much. I really don't want a medicalized birth, but this seems to be my only way they know and have little trust in me. So down, now I'm doubting myself and my body. I really appreciate your time. You have any if you have any, sorry for the long message, Haley. You know, it's an interesting thing because the doubting my body and myself has been a theme through like a lot of these uh, these letters. Is yeah, that because the,
1: that's what we do to that's what we do to women. That's what we're doing in one of the most beautiful times of her life. The possibility of of feeling strong and empowered in her amazing transformer body is, you know, we 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 doubt it and we are fearful, so we put that project that onto her, and then she digests it, and then she tells other people, "This is this is this is what we've done to generations of women and it and babies."
0: Yeah, and it, it hurts actually. It does. So I quickly wrote her back. Um, the medical model does not understand individualization of consent nor risk analysis very well. Tending to focus only on the rising risk of stillbirth and not the actual risk, nor the, which we've talked about many times on the podcast, mm-hmm. nor the benefits of babies growing inside longer inside when there are no confounding problems like hypertension, diabetes, or growth restriction. If your babies are being evaluated and seem to have good biophysical profiles, then the risk of waiting is very small, never zero, but not significant to most people who understand the math. Um, that, you know, somebody will say, well, they're monochorionic, so they could develop twin-twin transfusion syndrome, something like that. And I- I- the idea that you're going to, you've gone this far without it, and it suddenly develops at 39 weeks is projection. It's, ri- re- it's ridiculous thinking. It's, it's uh, not, li- it's so unlikely to happen. And again, that c- comes also when, when maybe A comes out, I've been, I've been, I've read that with monochorionic twins, you should immediately clamp A's cord. Like it's going to suck blood out of baby B. Um, Suddenly that's going to happen when it hasn't happened through the entire pregnancy. And that of course is false as well. And she replied, thank you so much for your reply. It means a lot. The babies have been so well and growing so good. And I really feel there's no need to intervene unless necessary. Thanks again. And a few days later, hi again, guys. I just wanted to say thank you so much for replying to me before. And just let you know that our monochorionic diamniotic boys arrived on the 1st of July at 39 weeks and six days. I continued to decline induction, although I did have a stretch and sweep the day before I went into labor. I had them in the birth center, and very quickly my waters broke at 6 p.m. and they were both born before 10 p.m., six minutes between them. I wanted a pool birth, but I had no time to get in.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Another tearful laughing emoji.
1: <laughs> I, That's great.
0: I had no other interventions or pain relief. I did have a th- third degree tear but that has been no issue to me they weighed seven pounds five and seven pounds two very healthy and no problems at all i'm so glad i followed my instincts yes and was able to find a few cheerleaders like you guys to give me the confidence to believe in myself look at that
1: Stu. just by responding to her letter you gave her the confidence to keep going and those babies were born in a beautiful way
0: Listen, I get. I, we get a lot of comments from our, on our podcast, um, either through Instagram or sometimes just through emails and messaging. Yeah. That this is the kind of thing that's happening, and I, and I think it's growing, and I think it's important that it does because it's what's been going on in birthing uh, for the last seventy five hundred years has been a total shit show. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, it, we, need, we need to change. We, need, we know we can do better. Midwives know we can do better. It's just that we've got to, you know, change listen the to them. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks so, for
1: being that kind of person.
0: And well, it's easy. It, yeah. really is, it really is easy to be honest. It must be hard to be deceitful. You have to, you have to have so much cognitive dissonance. You have to either yeah. be in such denial yeah. when you tell people that, you know, your placenta is going to give out at any second, or you're too old, you know, you're over 35, just planting these seeds of doubt. Yeah. And as you said, creating, taking these women who have this incredible ability, these transformer women and have this incredible ability to make babies and, and then making them doubt themselves so that they can, they, they themselves can feel powerful. The The practitioners. Yeah absolutely okay so um is it true that maybe next week we have something exciting happening on the schedule do we well there was some thing i wrote down about having two guests next week is that are we doing that is that still on
1: oh i have to check on that
0: okay well we'll just leave it up in the air for people to wonder about that (laughs) um but everybody thanks for listening uh again this is. just our passion. We just love doing it.
1: Yeah. And it's good to see you have a great birthday tomorrow and, um, have, have fun.
0: Yeah. And welcome back to Santa Barbara. Looking forward to coming up and visiting you when you get back.
1: Sounds great, sweetheart. Have a good day.
0: Bye-bye everybody.
1: Bye-bye.